Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. If your laundry hamper was filled with bits of broken glass, your clothes and towels and such would bleed you daily. I personally opted out of five years ago from all this broken glass in my healthcare spend and consumption. I prefer a life without a thousand cuts. I like my blood exactly where it is. This is a choice for everybody listening if you're an employer of any size or a consumer. All of us can opt out of the regime. Okay, so here's the broken glass in the laundry of 90 million working Americans and 90% of our doctors and nurses. $2,300 a month premiums with $2,500 plus deductibles with 80-20 coinsurance. Nobody thinks about that one. And how about the pre-auths and the prior authorizations and the denials of benefits and claims thanks to one typo. And there's dweebs on the other end of the phone with no medical training making a doctor wait on hold forever to get a Metaprove that's worked for years for that patient. And there's 10,000 ICD-10 codes and modifiers and 12,000 CPT codes and modifiers. And we use this 1983 technology called the facsimile machine that's still in existence for 85% of all medical encounters since EHRs won't talk to each other despite tens of billions of free federal money. So that wouldn't happen. Oops. And self-referral carve-outs. Bigs can refer to their imaging and surgery and primary care, but not the rest of us. Can you say stark and anti-kickback? That's called a carve-out. The ultimate carve-out is CMS, the largest drug buyer on the planet Earth by far, cannot negotiate their drug prices. Thank you, Obamacare. And we've had a doubling of claims the moment after you sell your practice to a hospital versus an independent facility. Of course, that's for imaging and surgery and everything else. Monopolies and duopolies are perfectly acceptable in 93% of hospital metros and in every state insurance market. And transparency carve-outs for Medicare Advantage plans, which are responsible for 95% of the Bucacor growth unit over the past decade, because employers, mostly 500, are fleeing the fleece. Schools are leaving for sure, in Texas for sure, in Florida for sure, and three states have left the bigs. And six more are thinking about it hard, but many states won't ever leave the bigs due to politics. Ambulance has got transparency carve-outs. There's $278 billion in no-strings-attached federal taxpayer largesse. So early in the pandemic, we didn't know for sure that the big hospitals really needed that money or not, but it turns out they didn't. The rurals did, but the bigs didn't. And HCA even returned $6 billion. Wow. I mean, wow. Okay, well, $278 billion is a bigger money pot, inflation adjusted, than the actual Marshall Plan, which gave us allies, critical trading partners, and free democracies of Japan, Germany, Austria, Italy, all our enemies for almost 80 years now. We got zipped this Marshall Plan, and it was bigger. The U.S. is number one in diabetes, 
in obesity and medical bankruptcy by far, and our healthcare spend per capita is double that of number two Switzerland and almost triple that of our peer nations. And we're dead last among peers in nearly any women's health metric. U.S. women report the least positive experience among the 11 countries studied, the greatest burden on chronic illness, the highest rate of skipping needed healthcare because of cost, the difficulty affording their healthcare, the functionally uninsured are the largest population in the world and are the least satisfied with their care. And women in the U.S. have the highest rate of maternal mortality because of complications from pregnancy or childbirth. In America, where we spend 13,000 per capita, and we have the highest rate of cesarean sections by far. The big lobbies outspend the next four lobbies combined over 20 years now. That's Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Defense, and Energy. And the politicians that are reliant on reelection are 99% the bigs addicted cash lap dogs. And some are excellent at empty outrage and hearings to play cliffs on local news and social media. Most are not that smart. And there's no lobbyist prohibition of retirement. So virtually all healthcare law and regulations are written by bigs, lawyers, and lobbyists. I think our guests today might agree on that. And appointed committees with teeth that mean anything are almost always their people sitting in the majority of the seats. And the National Medical Advisory Committees today are ignored by our regulators when it doesn't suit the bigs. That's a new wrinkle, a new low. Bigs essentially control even the best medical and scientific journals and have for quite a long time. So we are in the worst decile in world rank for C19 death rate, worst decile, meaning we're at the bottom of the heap. And we've seen the greatest wealth transfer by any measure in any two year period in US history. Yet the bigs thrived. The record profits, as I had to start naming them, would take up the rest of this show. There's too many to name that had amazing profits in a pandemic. The small businesses, if they're still alive today, did not exactly thrive. Debate and dissent has long been muzzled Soviet style if you're a white coat, a scientist, and many doctors and scientists have been deplatformed, fired, and pilloried. A debate is non-existent on early treatment protocols that are now off patent and cheap. And sanitation theater, which is wipe downs and cloth masks and school closures became an art form. And it still lingers. A buddy of mine just returned from Hawaii Monday and they're still living in 2020. Most all of this broken glass is absent in a new way of care, a next gen care that was born in 1993 with direct primary care and the first surgery center that's a free market center. Because who wants another whiner just howling in the wind like me? I don't want to even hear myself. I want a plan B. So who are the heroes that are funding the plan B? Well, there's, there's two of us. Employers and consumers sponsor direct contracts. The ecosystem, as you know from listening to this show, is, of course, direct primary care, which is now scaled nationally. Independent imaging, which is scaled nationally. Free market surgery, which will be, but it's already got 60 centers and another 600 locations that are starting to publish prices that are bundling their surgery so you can see what you're getting into. The specialists all take cash, mostly take cash, and Texas MD Anderson does not. And all the labs take cash, so they're part of this economy. And independent pharmacies can get you product at a penny to three pennies to four pennies a pill for about 85% of generics. Claims adjudicators like the Easter egg hunt for problems, and independent TPAs are popping up all over. And transparent advisors are catching up too. So the heroes are the employers, who are slowly but steadily opting out of decades-long fleecing and the three-card Monty 
hosted by co-opted benefit advisors with 17 to 20 secret fees built into their plans and essentially worthless PBMs with secret rebates and undisclosed prices. Consumers woke up, there's a second hero here, finding a better way to spend their $2,300 a month plus co-pays plus deductibles for direct care with none. I've saved 40% off my Aetna spend I had five years ago, and I never paid a dime in co-pays and co-insurance in the past five years. I've lost 45 pounds, and so I'm off all my meds, but one that I take proactively, but I'm getting off that one too. So that's 30 million of us who have done that opt out by my count. A future where everybody wins, guys, and a quasi-transparent one if you're self-funded employer or consumer. So let's say the aquarium now with some new transparency mandates is a glass, but the water's kind of murky. To tell us all about that, Doug Aldean is an award-winning and well-regarded and unafraid former insider of Two Bigs as either a general counsel or associate GC. And he is an ERISA and healthcare attorney of 30 years who's had a front row seat in the Supreme Court cases and is back for round two on this show. Doug's going to give us the inside scoop on the successes and challenges in disrupting the gaming and the long cons, several what I call semi-transparency regulations have recently washed onto our shores. Welcome back, Doug Aldean. Ron, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. What a great introduction. I feel like I'm on 60 minutes, and this is great. <laughs> well, any comments before we get going? You know, let, let's three things. One, cash. Two, alternative risk transfer. And three, we're, you know, the running joke is we're $689 million away from fixing healthcare, which is the collective amount spent on lobbying members of Congress between big pharma, hospitals, and doctors. I think if we could talk about those things, plus the transparency stuff, I think we're in good shape. You could throw in medical devices, uh, the brokers and advisors having a, a small lobby. Um, there's a new arm. The two big hospital lobbies now have a publicity arm. I haven't seen anything negative in ProPublica or Kaiser Family. Uh, on negative on hospitals, other than they're in big trouble because nurses are abandoning them and poor hospitals. But I, I mean, the press has been just remarkably silent in the last couple of years. Of course, we are in a pandemic. But uh, yeah, the lobby's actually bigger than just several bigs. There's four, five or six bigs. Yes. And, and to your point, I mean, I, I think there was something that just came out recently where there was a, a health system in the outskirts of Kansas City, Missouri, Freeman Health. Um, hired a lobbyist because everybody's looking for that last scoop of COVID dollars. So mm -hmm. that semi-accident that was marked as a COVID death certainly explains a lot. We have a lot to talk about, but I want to dive into CAA because this is really something you know a lot about, which is the Consolidated Appropriations Act. But before we go into that, Redonda Leanne Vaught, the nurse who Vanderbilt left hanging in the wind, and she's now going to jail. What are your thoughts on that? Boy, what a tragedy. I mean, can you truly criminally prosecute somebody um, for making a mistake? I mean, I, I just have a problem with it. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, there, there needs to be a level of immunity, just kind of like there are with judges, prosecutors, you know, folks serving in those capacities. I mean, it's really got to be something over the top, intentional, that would allow something like that to proceed. I mean, that's, what, what do you think? I'm just thinking, well, if I'm a private practice and I just got an offer to sell my practice and I'm sick of the drill yeah. and I now I'm ready to go to work for not Vanderbilt, but any hospital, yeah. do I want to have criminal liability for my people for decisions that they can't help making because the, 
the hospitals were understaffed. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like they've just shut down every nurse that would ever want to go work for there uh, for any big in the future. Or, you know, frankly, I mean, you hate to say this, but maybe you just kind of ignore what's happening and they just kind of, because you don't want to get involved. I mean, you don't want to have your, your decisions questioned. Yeah. Okay. Now let me ask you another question. Let's say you're living in Nashville, Tennessee, and you love Vanderbilt. Yeah. Would you give another dime to Vanderbilt? Boy, I'd be hard pressed to do it. <laughs> I mean, you talk about, so it's not just Vanderbilt. It's, it's systemic. The understaffing, you can't clean 12 hotel rooms if your you know, hotel's designed for seven rooms to be cleaned. You can't bus 23 tables if you're designed to bus six or seven or eight. It's just everybody's going to be unhappy. And that's what happened to this nurse. The ratios were way out of whack and are pretty much all over the country uh, because labor is the number one or two costs for every hospital, right? Yeah, absolutely. So she's this, this woman is, doesn't belong in jail. Let's see if we can get a presidential partner for her. Yeah, we'd like to think so. Okay, so let's talk about the secret deals that are about to be exposed. This is kind of a, like the smoke is clearing out of the smoke-filled rooms now, isn't it? It is. You know, this is time and grace. So let's just, you know, let's just talk about as an example, broker compensation. So, you know, advisors and brokers are now supposed to disclose, you know, both direct and indirect sources of income. And the record, by the way, that I've seen is 18 different lines of revenue. Um, but what's happening in the market, interestingly, is a lot of the larger broker brokerage houses are moving those commissions from employer paid commissions or benefits to voluntary employee paid benefits. And so you're stacking, if you will, that compensation, you know, in um, life insurance, disability, uh, legal defense, all those voluntary benefits that are offered by employers but are paid by the employees. You're stacking those commissions there um, and kind of circumnavigating, you know, the, the closing rules, if you will, that way. I was on the phone with two former Gallagher guys, maybe about two years ago, and they said that they have at least 17 hidden commissions that do not disclose. And they're in the, yeah, you're right. And they're in the vision and the dental and all these other plans, but they get trips. Of course they get W2'd for that or W4'd for that, but they're, you know, pretty much they're scared to death about the CAA because they're not going to have to talk about all of this, aren't they? Well, that's it. I mean, think about it, but it's, it's not just, you know, this year moving forward. So, you know, you think you're paying advisor X 300,000 for your direct compensation. When in fact, it's 1.6 million. Um, yes. Everything else on top of that for the past 10 years, because that's how long the relationship. I mean, if you're a family business, that's an awkward conversation. I mean, you know, 10 plus million dollars that could have been reinvested in, you know, your business, your family, employees is basically gone out the door to, you know, the herd tarlicks of the world. Do you think that there are enough benefit advisors like Rosetta out there to work with these larger employers when they fire these brokers? In other words, are there enough people that understand how to work with large employers? My experience is there's only a handful. There, there's a handful, but you know, it's, it's like everything else. I mean, but you know, there's a handful, so there's a good place to start. Um, and you got to start somewhere. Yeah, you're right. So let's talk about any other loopholes or carve-outs in the transparency law. I'm aware of ambulances. I'm aware of the Medicare Advantage, which is, again, a huge cash cow for every insurer. Um, I'm sure there's others out there. But, but what other kind of loopholes do the bigs have with these transparency regulations? You know, I don't know if there's really any other, you know, loopholes, if you will. Um, 
you know, I just, I, I think this, the entire conversation is really driving towards fiduciary responsibility. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause we're about this on a, you know, obviously on a self-funded um, product, there's clearly, there's a fiduciary duty, you know, to manage those plan assets fully. But even in a fully insured arrangement, let's talk about that. So, you know, if it's, if it's United, United clearly has a fiduciary duty to its shareholders, but I still think plan has a fiduciary responsibility to, you know, at least make it informed as best as you can, prudent decision when selecting, you know, that product, what's going on, how much is being paid, you know, and is it really, are you fulfilling that function by spending six, seven, eight, nine X, you know, with a multi-plan discount when, you know, maybe there's something considerably cheaper, you know, and those are things that are all kind of coming, you know, so if you look at, you know, what Leo does out in Philadelphia with health cost labs, and you've got typically multi-plan leads to charge in terms of what the, you know, just, well, the highest discount. And then cash is going to be at the bottom of the scale, but there's a number of different carriers underneath that. Um, but I think information is key, which has been lacking, you know, sorely. So, so if I'm a CFO, is this going to fall on my shoulders? Because I, the pension responsibility, I guess, falls on the CFO or whoever the compliance officer is. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, this is in your space now. And then um, this follows in the same theme as the pension uh, fiduciary is that you now have a fiduciary responsibility to get the best plan possible for your employees, or at least to be responsible. Absolutely, it does. Okay. And, and I think that it, it doesn't fall on the CEO. I mean, it's definitely going to fall on that main fiduciary. Um, I mean, on a self-funded arrangement, but on, you know, if it's a fully insured arrangement, I think it is a CEO's job to make sure that, you know, you know what's going on and you can defend it at a, at a minimum. So for all the smaller employees that are a little scared of this, isn't there an exclusion for under 50 employees or what does the number look like there? You know, I, I think that there is, and, and off the top of my head, I, I want to say, I think it is under 50, but I, I'd have to double check just to be sure. Okay. So this isn't a roofing company that has 35 employees, I don't think, yeah. but uh, that's something we will check into. Talk about a gag clause. What does a gag clause mean? And who, where, how does it show up in this world? So that a gag clause is going to prevent, so think about this, how many contracts, and let's just let's pick on Cigna, for example. I mean, how many Cigna contracts, network access agreements, ASL agreements, have a provision in there that limits your ability to audit claims, limits your ability to request certain de-identified information, all of that. So for contracts moving forward, effective 1-1-2022 one, one, moving forward, cannot prohibit in any way a plan's or a covered entity, which you know could be a TPA, anybody else, from obtaining that type of information, which to me is a, is a game changer because when you start to think about, I mean, how many people have been clamoring for claims data over the years? Um, I, you know, I will say this is that I know it's a position of a number of carriers where they say, where they claim they own the data and the plans have the right to access it. Hmm. Okay. Which, but I guess we'll see how that shakes out. So, so this new CAA is basically a full employment act for lawyers. I'm going to imagine class action suits might result from this. Can you imagine? I mean, that's a possible, right? I think that's exactly right. Because think about this. You're connecting the dots and you're, you're allowed for the first time really to go under the hood, find out what the real numbers are. And I think the finger pointing starts. I think there's going to be some whistleblower opportunities here. We're going to see some people come out of the woodwork that 
knew all along? I don't know. I mean, it just seems like this is going to open the lid off of the lawsuits that are going to pop out of this. I think that's exactly right. In fact, I, I would almost say I know that it's already started. So. Oh, okay. So that's a gag clause. So what are employers' ERISA fiduciary responsibility in light of this new transparency regulation? Well, you know, you have a good faith duty to at least do something. So whatever you're doing, as opposed to completely ignoring it, you've got a good faith responsibility. You've got to do something that's showing you're trying to make the right decision. I mean, so it's really kind of a low bar, but it forces, you know, plan sponsors and, and those in charge of that to, to affirmatively do something. Uh, not just rubber stamp, not just, you know, look at this and say it's okay when, you know, it's really not. So theoretically, if not theoretically, actually probably pretty practically, this new act is going to reduce the spend on overpriced medical services, theoretically, right? In theory. But, you know, think about this. I mean, it, kind of like in your opening monologue. I mean, when you've got a system that's a monopoly, I mean, go to my hometown of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. I mean, Carl owns the entire, I mean, it's 90% of the market. So if you don't like it, it's an hour and a half to Chicago, Indianapolis, or St. Louis. I mean, what are you going to do? You know? Yeah. Speaking of don't like it, I was just in your hometown, Austin, a couple of days ago, and I just always forget how much I got to get out of town before three o'clock when the traffic starts. And I mean, 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> it doesn't ever stop. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, and I'll, I've just noticed that within the past two weeks, I mean, it just has gotten bad again. Every day is South by. <laughs> well, now you've got what I think the F or NASCAR is coming in another week. Um, I mean, if 100,000 people show up, I mean, it's, forget it. Has the vibrational frequency increased since the headquarters that are all moving to Austin, the Teslas of the world, is that, are y'all noticing a difference in the vibe? Well, so where I am, so I'm, I'm right here in the Seahome district. So I'm literally, I'm looking at the new Google Tower that just was finished and it's opened up and they're moving people in there right now as we speak. Um, and, you know, you can feel it because these people are coming from Silicon Valley, you know, with 3 million, 4 million. And, you know, they're, they're buying a penthouse, you know, on Congress and then looking for, you know, something out in Fredericksburg or maybe even down in South Padre. So, you know, very hard to compete with them. Yeah. Well, the value of your house just went up overnight the last two years. Well, that's it. I mean, so you know, you've got that, but you know, if you're in the market to buy, you know, boy. Yeah. Hey, Doug, is it getting under your skin anything new in the uh, LinkedIn world? What kind of stuff is on your mind these days and keeping you awake at night, getting you mad? You know, I would say this. I think financial assistance is the, the next transfer strategy that is the topic du jour. And, you know, so when you think about Rx in the, in the, in the pharmacy world, rebates and, you know, financial assistance in that world has been common for years. And the same thing is happening in the not-for-profit hospital charity space. So you're saying that nonprofits, governmental entities, and corporations are all setting up patient assistance programs for like labor and delivery for the uh, low wage? Well, so think about it this way. So, you know, if you're a not-for-profit hospital, you know, in exchange for your tax exempt status, you're required to offer free or substantially discounted care to those who cannot afford it solely based on their level of income. And you know, a majority of health systems, I mean, if you believe, you know, GBI and, and Marty Bakery, um, I mean, they should be at 10 to 15% of, of what their 
charging or what they're it's two two percent two percent one percent sometimes less than one percent so there are dollars inside these facilities that are not being allocated to people who need it and you know with with the with the the people that are functionally uninsured i mean you can alleviate the entire problem because once you cross the threshold of financial assistance and you're eligible for that it's a 12-month claim form for all medically necessary and emergency care services you know Marilyn Bartlett of Montana. She taught me that you can, in many states, if not most states, write off the cost of public art if you're a hospital, because that's charity. You yeah. can write off a water fountain in the public. That's charity. And the list goes on and on. But of course, the bigger question is, are they gaming the tax definition of charity because they're writing their care off, their indigent care off at retail rates, you know, at their charge master, right? Well, think about it. So if someone's told you, Ron, well, we just wrote off a hundred million in in you know charity care. Well, what were you charging? I mean, so you know, was it a twenty thousand dollars CT scan that should have been appropriately priced at I don't know eight hundred bucks? So, you know, it, it's a, it's a system that is ripe for change just because you know half the country makes less than thirty five thousand six hundred twelve dollars. That's two hundred seventy five percent of the FPL. Ninety five million people. Mm-hmm can substantially impact by, you know, providing them, you know, what I'm going to call the public defender rate um, of healthcare. I never knew that 80% of our employees make under $20 an hour. That's a big number. Big number. The market's yeah. huge. We are an hourly economy, our country. Yeah. We're, we're, think about this. The Latinization of America is happening. So you've got to just, you know, a wide disparity between those who have and those who don't. Yeah. You know, free healthcare goes a long way to fix that. If you look at Rosen Care and uh, other companies that are going, no more deductibles, no more premium, $5 copay. Well, you know, if you get a little skin in the game, that really seems to transform the haves and have nots back into for everybody's on the same playing field. And I think that actually solves a lot of problems for America. The uh, people that can't get into the treehouse of the American dream can, can now for free healthcare. I agree with that 100%. Because I mean, you think about, you know, wage stagnation and all those different things. If you alleviate that, you know, and people could save and, and do the normal things that people do with families, boy, what a game changer. I think that's the unstoppable movement called direct contracts. I really do. That's, it's a movement. It doesn't have a leader. We don't have an academic study. We don't have, you know, there's no Martin Luther King out front, but we definitely are on the march for sure. Okay. That's my doorbell ringing. I've got to run now, Doug. I want to thank you. Is there any message you want to give to the Listeners, if you could fly a banner overhead. You know what? Change is coming. That's it right now. I can just tell you right now, the tsunami is coming like you can't believe. I feel it too, Doug. Thanks again. How do people reach out to you if they want to find you? Okay. Uh, first of all, you can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm actually, I've, I've got Twitter. And then um, you can certainly email me to a Doug at healthgapsattorney.net. Thank you so much, Doug, for your time. Thank you. Buddy. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.